Welcome, one and all, to Chasing Cutoffs, bringing you the trail running news and views from the back of the pack. Hey, friends, you may note a tinge of weakness in the formerly dulcet tones of my voice, and that is because I have been yelling. I was out at Capital Peak Ultras put on by the amazing Ole Trail Runners. This is a local race that's been going on for many years, and I was out volunteering at the finish line. Racing has really kicked off in a major way from Madeira Island, canyons, whiskey basins, so many awesome back-of-the-pack and DFL podium finishes. But if you happen to be among the injured, you may be feeling a bit sad and desperate that you can't be out there racing yourself. So desperate, perhaps, that as a cry for help, you may create a podcast. But let me give you a simpler alternative. You can still get your ultra sign-up fix, but instead of clicking register, click volunteer. I got to volunteer at the aid station at the finish line, which was really cool because you got to see all these amazing expressions of people finishing this 50-mile race from extreme grimaces of pain, huge smiles, super focused concentration, tears of joy. It was so awesome to yell for people as they came in after finishing 50 hard miles and waiting for them at the finish line beyond the hugs and the cheers. We had hot soups, vegan options. And I was on the griddle. And let me tell you this, folks, the butter and cheese were flowing like wine. I was on top of my quesadilla and grilled cheese game, and it was so much fun. Do yourself a favor. If you can't get out there and race, volunteer. Your local RD will love you and the runners will thank you. This week's episode of Chasing Cutoffs is brought to you by Warm Generic Cola. Have you been sitting at that aid station a bit too long, worried you won't be able to get up in the next five minutes before they pull you off the course? Nothing gets you back on your feet and over the finish line like this tepid, sticky sweet magic elixir. Still need that one more power boost? Grab a handful of generic cream-filled chocolate sandwich cookies. Great alone, perfect together. Find them at an aid station near you. And now, back to the show. We have such a cool story for you today. It is a love story that spans continents. It's a tale of kangaroos, lockdowns, DNFs, and a mental health journey that leads an Alabama boy halfway around the world. Please join me in welcoming none other than Coley Danes. Coley, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks for having me on. Man, this is so cool to be talking to someone who is in Australia. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, in Australia. So living regionally. When you say living regionally, what does that mean? Yeah, so basically that means I'm not anywhere near a capital city. Um, So I live about eight hours from Sydney, eight hours north of Sydney, but also eight hours south of Brisbane. So those are the two closest capital cities to me. So... How what would be the American equivalent of living regionally? So I guess when you think about it, think about like a small community. Um, so I called Tuscaloosa, Alabama home for 16 years. That would be regional compared to like, say, Atlanta and New Orleans. Right. So, yeah, there's kind of the cities. There's then there's the regional 
which is outside of those cities. And then there's rural, which is, you know, when you're getting to Burke and Broken Hill. And out into the all, outback. All the, yeah, out of the outback. So that that's more rural is what it's referred to over here. Gotcha. And very interesting. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, uh, American to Australian translation that goes on on this podcast. <laughs> I have to do it every day. Yeah, I'm sure. <laughs> you know, there's a lot I want to talk to you about about your athletic history and about your, you know, discovery and and history of trail running. But before we do that, with your permission, let's jump into the Wayback Machine, man. Tell me about where you grew up and your family situation. Yeah. So I grew up moving a lot as a child. My dad's retired Air Force. So I moved around a lot in the U.S. Uh, I lived in seven different states by the time I was 12 years old. And we moved to Alabama. So um, I lived in New Mexico, Arkansas, Texas, South Dakota, Oklahoma, Colorado, and then lived in Alabama for 16 years. That's incredible. And is there a history of uh, armed services in your family? A little bit. Uh, Both my grandparents, both my grandfathers were in the military, but they didn't really make a career of it. Uh, but my dad did make a career of it. He was a rescue swimmer in the Navy back in the late 70s and early 80s. Wow, then, that's hardcore. Yeah, yeah. And then he re-enlisted into the Air Force after he'd been out for a couple of years. Wow, that's awesome. So would you then, you know, even though you moved around quite a bit, and I, I don't know if they use that same term, I don't know if you would call yourself an Air Force brat. Is that what yes, they would say? I, I am a brat. I'm an Air Force brat. <laughs> nice. Even though you moved around quite a bit, you said you did land in Tuscaloosa and were there for several years. Yep. So we lived in Colorado at the Air Force Academy where my dad was an instructor. And after that, the Air Force gave him the option to go for his doctorate. And we ended up at the University of Alabama for him to do that. And just the lifestyle there and closeness to my mom's parents um, mm. was nice. And this just having that stability we eventually just settled in Tuscaloosa and I lived in Alabama in general for 16 years. I moved a couple different places in Alabama uh, after I'd gone to college and then, but yeah, Tuscaloosa is home. My brother and sister still there. My parents live in Montgomery now. Nice. Okay. So what you would say Alabama boy. Yes. Yes. Not, not originally, but definitely Alabama boy. <laughs> Adopted son. <laughs> yes, yes. Adopted son of Alabama. What did your dad get his PhD in? Political science with a focus on international uh, international relations. Wow. And is he retired Air Force now? He's retired Air Force now, um, but he is working for Department of Defense at one of their professional colleges. Gotcha. Three-letter agency, DOD, making it happen. <laughs> yes, yes. Well, thank your dad for his service oh, sure, uh, sure. on behalf of the podcast. I think that's fantastic. Um, so brother and sister, yep. older, younger? Which, older where do you brother, come in younger sister. Uh, ah, definitely middle a middle child. child. Yeah. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. This this may have something to do with the fact that you moved a whole world away. We're, we're going to get to that story. We'll figure that's that out. That's good. So... What I think is really interesting about trail running is it has this combination of adventure, outdoor, backcountry, et cetera. And then it also has this athletics thing with running, right? So 
I know that you were definitely part of athletics uh, growing up. What was your, you know, exposure to athletics and sports as a kid, middle school, high school, et cetera? Well, we'll dig into the outdoors side first. Uh, living sure. in South Dakota and Oklahoma and Colorado, I was involved in scouts. So that was really where the love of the outdoors came from. We hiked the Washington Trail, I believe it is, up to Mount Rushmore with my brother's Boy Scout troop. I was about five years old. And my dad was holding on to my wrist the whole time, but he didn't carry me. I hiked the whole way. Uh, So, you know, kind of just thrown into that from an early age because my brother is six years older than me. So, uh, you know, that really, I didn't have much choice but to go along. Uh, And then, of course, living in Colorado, there was, I'd mountain bike all summer long. The rule was I had to have a watch on and be home for dinner. But I was on, I was on an Air Force base. So I could just go everywhere and anywhere on my bike. And, you know, of course, camping in Colorado, once you've done that, it it you either get into it or you don't. And it definitely got into me. So you got the bug very, very early. Yeah, I'm very yeah. jealous because I did not grow up with very, I had very little exposure to the outdoors. Um, I grew up in North Texas Yeah, okay. and did not have, just didn't have a lot. You know, my family was not into hiking, camping, anything outside. Yeah. And uh, it was much, much later in life that I discovered it. Obviously I'm very grateful that I did. But uh, I have to admit, I'm a little bit jealous that uh, as early as five years old, you were crushing hikes. <laughs> it was it was a good way to grow up, and you know, kind of no money fun, if that makes sense. Yes, um, you know, it, it gave me an appreciation for that because going to national parks and such is very affordable, and going for big hikes is it costs nothing once you're in the park. So, you know, it also gave me an appreciation for that no money fun. Yeah. Because moving around, you know, not only did we see what was local, we go a state over because that's just an easy way to do things. So lots of time, lots of time in the 88 Ford conversion van. Nice. (laughs) Going to national parks. Yeah. The 88 Ford conversion van. This will not <laughs> probably won't be the first time we're going to talk vehicles because I'm totally into cars and trucks. And Nice, nice. And then uh, to, to kind of dig into the sports side, the athletic side. Yeah. Um, so we moved to Alabama. I was in seventh grade when we moved there. And I played football um, seventh through 12th grade. Uh, I absolutely loved it. Uh, I wasn't very good at it. From a <laughs> what physical, position did you play? I was a nose guard. So I played defensive line. Um, I wasn't very big, but I really enjoyed it. And it was a lot of fun. And I was pretty technically sound. And I found myself in this kind of teaching position for the younger players, for the other guys. Oh, nice. And Mentoring. Was, yeah, kind of mentoring. And um, I was also a pretty big academic achiever then. And uh, so I was also after practice, there was tutoring with Coley. <laughs> so that was fun. very cool. Um, and then in middle school, I ran track uh, and threw shot put and discus. Um, and that was just good fun, something to fill up the spring semester. 
What was your distance, your go-to in track? So track, there was a four-by-four relay team. Okay. And it was me, two other field events, and then a guy named Fuzzy. And he <laughs> he was small, and he was fast, and he but he was part of our team. So it was just like, you know, it was the, one of the things where you got points for every event that you entered into. We were always dead last because we were a bunch of yeah. football players and throwers. And but you had Fuzzy, man. But we had Fuzzy. He, he was the anchor. <laughs> the heart and soul of the team. That's awesome. That's it was awesome. great, man. It, it was good fun. That, that was kind of influential because it was, we knew we were going to come last, but we were out there having a go and having a good time and kind of instilled in us you don't have to win to have a good time. Yeah. And that's an important lesson that I'm sure you are continuing to learn in your, uh, your trail and ultra running career. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So you were in fact doing powerlifting in college. Is that right? Yeah. So after high school, I did go to college uh, and I did more bodybuilding type stuff just because lifting weights and football was something that you do. Yeah. And so I just continued lifting weights. I actually left college for a bit for a few years and was a fine dining chef. Oh, wow. Yeah. And then I went back to college to finish my degree and discovered powerlifting, got involved with a really strong group of guys and did that. Uh, I think that I still hold two Alabama state records with the USA the crimson tide. Yes. The crimson tide. Um, nice. but in the USAPL Federation, I still hold two state records, I think still in the squat and for the total, but no, it was good fun. And it was a lot of fun. Uh, but it, I wasn't really living the healthiest lifestyle while I did that. <laughs> yeah. And then, well, back back up just a little bit. Tell me about leaving college and, and becoming a chef. Where did that come from? Yeah, so like I said, I was a pretty high academic achiever all through high school, and getting to getting to college was a little bit different for me, and I didn't really succeed the way I wanted. And but I'd always had a passion for food and really enjoyed it. Um, so I did a couple of small gigs. Uh, just, you know, getting my feet wet, learning about the business. And then I was dating a girl at the time who lived in Alexander City, Alabama. And there was a restaurant called Spring House. And so I sent in my application and was hired. And I was there for a few years. And it was a great experience. Did you have a dream about opening your own restaurant at that point? At that point, yeah. Yeah. Um Unfortunately, <laughs> with the whole current COVID situation and all that, yeah. any dreams like that, I've pushed away. I'm no longer interested in hospitality. <laughs> gotcha. Under yeah, yeah. It it suddenly became one of the toughest gigs in the world. Yes. Um, yes. But there was a point where you decided, I'm going back to school. Yeah, yeah. And you know, it was it was a good decision. I moved back and I was closer to family and all that too. Um, I still continued to cook. Then I got a job selling beer for a beer distributor <laughs> Okay, and got into sales and absolutely loved it. Nice. Nice. And so your degree, what did you, uh, what'd you wind up getting? 
uh, b- business administration. So okay. So how does Coley get from graduating college in Alabama? Family's all there. Get me from point A to point B. How did you wind up in Australia? Through powerlifting, actually. Wow. Okay. Tell me. Me and my partner uh, were both on some of the same internet forums for powerlifting. And we had a couple of mutual friends through the same platform. uh, And she was going to see a mutual friend in Atlanta. So I was only a few hours away from Atlanta. And we'd been talking for a few months and wanted to meet up. So she came and saw me. We were together for a few days and everything was confirmed. And that was about nine and a half years ago now. Wow. So we did long distance for a few years. Um, and then uh, ended up, we had a kid on the way and I made the move then. Wow. Congratulations. Oh, thanks. So let me, let me get this straight. She is also a power lifter. Yes. She's from Australia. Yes. And you met virtually long distance. Yeah. And you hit it off. Absolutely. And you're talking and you're connecting. And then she comes to the States to visit a friend in, in Atlanta. Yep. You meet for real IRL. Yeah. And she was everything you hoped for and more. Exactly. I, when I saw her get off the train, I was like, yep. She's the one. She's the one. Exactly. Exactly. When you know, you know. <laughs> that is incredible. That is a really cool, like very modern love story. It is. So she's from Australia. Yes. She, I take it she's got the accent and all that. Yes, that just she like does. Won you she over. does. Yeah. I mean, look, I'm, I'd be lying if I said that wasn't part of it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but yeah, and I've lived here a, a little over four and a half years and we, our little boy just turned four in January. Oh man. Congratulations. Oh, thanks man. Congratulations. I mean, being a dad definitely changes a lot. Oh, everything, everything. Yeah. All for the better, but all kinds of new, interesting challenges. Lots of challenges. <laughs> now you're in Australia. You've met the love of your life. You've made a massive move. And I'm really curious about with the, with the, with respect to that move, all your families in Alabama, how did they take it when they, when you said, Hey, I, I'm moving. Um, well, because we'd been together for a few years, it wasn't a surprise. And, you know, um, you know, talking about moving around a lot when I was a kid, you kind of puts in perspective. I wouldn't have had the confidence to move halfway around the world, pr- probably if I hadn't lived so many different places growing up. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. So prior to the move, you know, you, you did track in high school. Yeah. So there, there's the running piece, right? You had this big background of, of outdoor adventures and appreciation for national parks. And you did the whole college thing. You did the whole chef thing. You met the love of your life. You move halfway around the world. When does running come back into the picture? Running doesn't come back into the picture until September of 2020. Oh, wow. Okay. The pandemic has already started. Pandemic has started. So I got a job at a pub here in the town that I live in three weeks before lockdown. Oh my gosh. And Australia's lockdown was like full on significant, very real lockdown. It was full on. That lasted a very long time. How long did that last? The first lockdown was nine weeks. So I was stood down for nine weeks. Mm -hmm. Um, Didn't have my permanent residency yet. So I wasn't able to access any kind of COVID relief payments. I was doing odd jobs. I was 
I was picking grapes at a, a vineyard. Um, I was just doing everything I could. And then we were able to reopen the pub in June. And then, of course, we weren't people weren't going to the pubs because it was boring. So it wasn't terribly busy. And I was pulling a lot of hours by myself. Um, and my mental health was not great. And one Monday, I'm sitting in the chair. Uh, Will was two years old, I guess, at that point, a little over two. He was having his afternoon nap on me, and I'm scrolling through Facebook, and I see uh, the Deval Dam Buster race. And there, that year, it was a three, eight, and 15-kilometer option. So there's the local mountain. It's not really a mountain mountain. So it's like a really big hill, um, but it is the highest point in the local area. Mm-hmm. And I said, I've been playing a bit of squash with some friends. Okay. And I said, oh, yeah, I'm fit enough. I, I could run 8Ks. And I keep looking at it, keep looking at it. Uh, you know, what's the point of doing, you know, 8Ks and not even going to the top of the mountain? Let's do the 15K. I can do the 15K. And that was September 1st. The race was September 15th or 16th. So I had three weeks to train for it. (laughs) (laughs) Classic first race. Classic first race. And I went up there and I actually did two hours, 14 minutes and 59 seconds. Nice. (laughs) So sub 215 uh, for the 15Ks. And I, I was... It, it had its hooks in me. Yeah. And this is a full-on trail race. Full-on trail race. Up to the highest point. This is in, and you're going to have to correct me on some of these pronunciations. So it's the Mount Duval and Dumaresk Dam area. Demeric. Demeric Dam area. Yes. Near Armadale, New South Wales. Yep. Okay. Yep. So I live in Armadale and uh, I'd gone up. I'd gone up and done a bit of training in the dam area. And then we also have a state forest right near us that I would go and run in, uh, that the dogs are allowed in. So I take the dogs with me. Uh, There's another nature reserve that there's heaps of kangaroos. I have this, one of the first runs I did out there, it was early in the morning and I'd gone, I was about, it's about an 8K loop. And I come around about 7Ks in. And I turn this corner and you just see a mob of kangaroos jumping through a field. And it was just magical, man. Magical. Wow. So side note, first race, the the first Valdan Buster I did, the required gear, the mandatory gear, you had to be able to carry 500 milliliters water. So that's about 16 ounces. And I had to go get a snake bandage. So a compression bandage. I've heard of this. Yeah. Yeah. So pretty much every trail race I do, I've got to carry at least 500 mils water, snake bandage, and a space blanket. That's really interesting. And that's the only, that's the top three things. That's like the main three things for everything. The snake bandage being top of the list. That's interesting. Well, you, man, you're in, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Australia has like the deadliest snakes and insects and animals in the world, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's, It's pretty nuts. I mean, you were a Boy Scout from a purely, yeah. you know, uh, medical aid concept here. What good is this bandage really doing you? What does it do? 
So basically what it does is it provides compression. It's kind of like a tourniquet. Okay. And it keeps the poison, the, the venom from flowing as easily. Got it. It kind of keeps it in place until you can get the, uh, yeah. the anti-venom. Yeah, exactly. Which the anti-venom is fairly easy to get. You just have to get to it. And do they have anti-venom regularly available at the aid stations at these races? Not at the aid stations, but it, there is going to be some local, hopefully, <laughs> yeah, hopefully. <absolutely. laughs> what I love about this story about your first race is that it was born out of the pandemic. It was born out of this place of everything's falling down around me. I've lost my job. The world is locking down and I need something. And yeah, you just so happen to have some buddies you're playing squash with. And for American listeners, I also have no idea what squash is, but I think it's like a tennis type thing. Right? It's a racket game and you're in a room. And you can hit the ball off of the walls. Okay. It's a fascinating game. If I'm ever, if I'm ever down there, we're going to have to play some squash. Yeah, yeah. So you run this first race. You don't get bit by a snake. Nope. But nope. Uh, <laughs> you do get bit by the trail running bug. Exactly. So what do you do then? I'm, uh, You know, I told you I'm fascinated by origin stories. And thank you for talking about your background. I'm also fascinated yeah. by this thing that kind of only happens once and you can never get it back. But it was so much fun. The discovery process. Yeah. Once you got back, how did you start to learn more about this? Well, I just kind of, well, of course, there was um, G Gary Robbins. Yes. Yeah. Yep. The the Barkley um, documentary that. The Ginger Runner Where Dreams Go to Die. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. That's the one. It's so good. So good. And then how to run a hundred miles, um, uh, semi-rad. Yeah. Brendan Leonard. Um, Brendan Leonard. Yeah. Brendan Leonard is my number one, um, dream guest for the chasing cutoffs podcast. Dude. He's so cool. That was a, uh, I think that was officially an REI film. Uh, yeah. Officially REI. And yeah. man, what an awesome documentary. So good. So good. Cause it didn't really shy away from anything, you know? Yeah. And it shows you how, but, but also they're just normal guys. Mm -hmm. They're just normal folks like us going out and doing this crazy thing. Yeah. And that really spoke to me. Yeah. Um, so yeah, you know, just getting out and like, like I said, it was great for, great for my head, great for the mental health side. Absolutely. So just running was, and mostly cause I didn't go in until afternoon. I was able to get the kid ready, drop him off at daycare, go for a run and then come back, get ready for work, go to work. So it was, you know, just a way to manage all the stress that I was dealing with. Yeah. So after that, the local running group, um, there's the city to surf that takes place in Sydney every year. It's a 14 K road race. Okay. I'm actually going to do it in person this year, not virtually. Yeah. I think you did the, the virtual run last year, right? I did the virtual run the past two years. Okay. So I thought, you know, 15 K trail race, of course I can do a 14 K road race. <laughs> um, so I got together with them and we did the run because the, someone had set up a course that had similar elevation profile and, you know, just a really great community here. And we all had chocolate cake or cookies and had our own little thermoses with coffee. And we all just hung out afterwards. That's the only way to do it. What is the name of your local running group? Let's give them a shout out. It is the Armadale Panthers running group. And we have pink hats. So pink Panthers, which I love. Yeah. Um, 
but yeah, and it makes us stick out at any events that we might be going to together. That's easy to find each other, right? Easy to find each other. We actually have four folks that are doing Run Lara Pinto, which is in the Northern Territory. And it's a stage race, but they're doing it together. Uh, It's like four days, not quite marathon distance every day, I think. Um, But there's the Lara Pinto Trail and they're doing all of that. Wow, that sounds epic. Do you think you'd ever want to uh, hop into a a multi-day stage race like that? Oh, eventually. Eventually. (laughs) Um, Maybe one day, but right now I've I've just, I've got to tackle a 50K again. Well, that does bring us to the topic of the Hendo Hustle, which I know just a few months ago, you made your first attempt at the 50 mile distance. Tell us what happened. 50 kilometer, 50 kilometer. 50K, forgive Um, me. So a little background on the Hindo hustle. It was a new distance for the Devalda and Buster this past year. Um, and Hindo uh, was Michael Henderson, who was a dentist in town and unfortunately passed away at a triathlon in Tweed's head, Tweed oh, heads. No way. So, you know, very, tragic. it's very tragic. Um, and he was a very big part of the running community here. So in perpetuity, the race is the Hindo hustle. Um, that's, that's great. So I had changed jobs. Um, I'd moved from managing the pub to managing a bottle shop attached to a pub. And then I moved to driving a forklift and delivering groceries to old folks <laughs> um, back in the same town that the brewery that I started out was in. Oh, okay. So, and I'm still in that job. It's great. Um, but you know, training hadn't been going well. Uh, I'd been getting out for a few runs a week. It wasn't great, but I was like, yeah, you know, talking to my coach, I'm like, look, I can still, I think that I got it in me. I think I got it in me. And he was very supportive and like, yep, let's just do the best we can. Um, you know, the way I put it, the, the day went so well in other ways that it's hard to be upset. So in March, I had done the 25K Washpool um, race, which is in the Washpool World Heritage Trails in the Gibraltar Range. Um, and I was DFL. <laughs> Shout that. out, DFL podium. I, I'm always going for it. Yeah. Which, of course, goes back to Traveling. your track running days, right? It's not about finishing first. It's about exactly. finishing and having fun. Well, it's all about the adventure, man. Like for me, it's about the adventure, going somewhere new, challenging yourself some way different. So yeah, anyways, well, back to the 50K attempt. You know, I, I was familiar with the first, you know, 10Ks or so because it's the same course as the 50, right. 15 that I had done the year before. Where it started to go wrong, well, first we had gotten bucket loads of rain in the weeks prior, bucket loads of rain the night before. The trails were washed out. There were puddles that were either ankle deep or they were knee deep. And you didn't really know what they were until you were in them. So that sapped a lot of extra energy on that one. Uh, Probably wasn't wearing the right kind of shoes. But at that point, I don't know that the shoes were really making a difference. (laughs) Right. (laughs) And then so that that was tough. But that was I could overcome that where it really started to go downhill was I missed a turn and I added an extra couple of K's to the race. And that put me just in a terrible headspace. I said this on my last interview as well, and I'm going to save this story for later, but 
My most recent race was a 50 mile attempt. I also took a wrong turn and it destroyed me. It killed me. Yeah. So I know exactly what that feels like. It doesn't matter how long it was, even if it was one K it's so disheartening. So here you are, you've made a wrong turn, you realize it. And now you're turning around and trying to find the trail. Yep. So we get back and we find the turn that we're supposed to take. And it's through this sloppy, muddy, awful cow pasture, mud holes, slippery, just, I wish I'd had trekking poles because it was that bad. But that being said, I saw someone with trekking poles absolutely bust it. So I don't know that they would have made that much difference. Really? Interesting. Yeah. So they just went face first or what happened? Uh, They slipped and went backwards and just their whole backside was covered in mud. Oh, man. Yeah. So you're you're slogging through the cow patties and the cow pasture. Yep. Yep. Knee deep mud. Yep. And I finally get to the road section and I start cramping. Oh, no. Nutrition had been on point. Hydration had been on point. Like, that's the thing. So, like I said, so many things were going right that day that it's hard to be upset. But uh, I just caught cramps for a good five, six kilometers and just working through them. And, of course, that not just physically draining. It was so mentally draining, too, trying to. Let's get into it, man. Where were the cramps? We got to know. Let's get specific. So back to the time being a football player and power lifter and then playing rugby the first couple of years I moved over here. I have really big quads. I have massive quads. And when they cramp, buddy, they cramp. <laughs> <laughs> and so I'm just shuffling along. Yeah. I didn't stop moving. I never stopped going forward, but it was... It was rough for a good six kilometers. Um, A regret that I've got, I should have changed socks. I should have changed socks when I hit road, but I didn't. I think that that could have been a bit of a mental edge, just having dry feet, but I didn't. And, you know, hindsight's 50-50, as Yogi Berra once said. (laughs) One of the cool parts of the course is the local private uh, aviation company has a grass airfield and you ran down the airfield and it was shortly after that that i actually called the race for myself and were you at a, a aid station at that point where you could just say hey yeah I'm done. yeah i i was well there was kind of a mobile aid station okay there was a, a big truck that was following us well following me i had a bike following me on all the trails and then the truck was coming up to intersections and stuff. So when we say following you, this is because you are at the back and they are sweeping I am at the, the course. Absolute back. Nice. Absolute back. Um you belong here, my friend. This is your show. If I hadn't had the extra few Ks, I might have been good to go, but that really was a bad setback. You're being chased and by the mobile aid station. Being chased by the mobile aid station, man. So I have like this pocket full of gummy worms and gummy bears that they just keep feeding me candy. (laughs) It's great. It's great. Like these guys had never, it was so cool though. So over here we have these, these shows in all these rural and regional communities. They're kind of like county fairs, but like, you know, people show their sheep and their horses and their pets and all that. 
And these guys, though, were on the show council and were good friends with a couple of the folks running the race. And we needed volunteers. So they said, yeah, cool, we'll do it. Had never done anything running related before. Oh, that's so cool. And it was so cool. And when I dropped, the um, the guys were like, oh, man, we can't wait to come out and do this again next year. Like That's automatically. Awesome. Yeah, it was so good. So good. So you're in this race. You're being chased by these guys. They are a cool, cool crew of ag uh, people who are excited about coming back and doing this or doing this for the first time. Yep. You're approaching this uh, this waypoint or aid station. Yep, it was about forty k's. Okay, you were already at forty k's. Yep, yep. But it involved going back up and over the mountain. The weather is starting to turn. Rain's about to happen. Thunderstorms about to happen. And the guys that they're just like, look. They've given us a shout and said, if, if you want to hop in the truck, you can. Uh, and the old hop in the truck invitation. Well, I look at them dead serious. How far to the next aid station? <laughs> I, I was pissed. Yeah. I was pissed. Yeah. How dare you imply that I'm going to get in that truck? <laughs> no, no, not going to happen. <laughs> um, and then I walk about 500 meters away. And I turn back around and I say, yeah, let's, um, let's go home. <laughs> oh man. It's heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking. Um, but I tell you what the coolest part is. Well, and, and you know, when it comes to trail running, when it comes to racing for me and running, it's about the adventure and trail running specifically. It's about the community. I get back to the finish line. I was the only DNF. So the first Hindo hustle, I'm the first DNF. There's nice. got to be one, yeah. right? I'm the sacrificial lamb. It's great. But everybody, oh man, let me tell you about this DNF I had. Let me tell you about this other this DNF. Hey, I've got a DNF too. Let me tell you about that. And it's just this, I felt like I had finished the race. Yeah, that is so cool. It didn't matter that I didn't finish. I still achieved something yeah and i had also just become part of this other club of oh hey like you're part of the dnf club now yes you got this welcome yeah so yeah that that was my first 50k attempt and it's going to be in december again this year hopefully it's not too hot because yep. the season's all reversed um hopefully it's not too hot and i can go crush it out so in between now and then What's next for you? Do you have any other races on the calendar? Yeah, so I just got done. Last week, I did the Newcastle Running Festival because um, Kels, my partner, is from down there. Uh, I did that. I did the half marathon. Cool. Um, which was cool. I'd never done a road race before, so that was neat. Um, did a nice 236. I was still like 400 15th out of 461 so not giving up the back of the pack status yet um yep. and then the week before that i did wash pull i didn't do the 25 i did the 9k just to kind of get my feet back exactly sometimes you just got to get your confidence back yeah, right? exactly exactly remember why we're out here yeah definitely definitely so next up is 
the Sydney Morning Herald Half Marathon, um, which will be in Sydney um, May fifteenth. Okay, uh, that's that's the next race planned. So you didn't you didn't get enough with your first road half marathon. You're going back again, huh? I'm going back. It's a great distance, really. A lot of fun. I wasn't completely wrecked by the end of it. Uh, and then in August, there's a 50k on my radar in Coffs Harbor. I don't know exactly what it's going to be, but me and my coach are already working towards doing the 50k option. Uh, we can always drop back to the 10 or 25 if we need to, but yeah, I'm going to do a 50k in August. There's a Halloween overnight 12 hour in October that I'm going to do just because I've wanted to do it for a couple of years now. And then Deval Danbuster in December again. Nice. Yeah. Your running calendar is chock full of some, sounds like some awesome adventures. I want to come back to this idea of coaching because as long as I've been doing this, I've never had a coach and you're working with heart strength and endurance. Is that right? Yes. Yes. And who's your coach over there? Jeff. So Jeff and Heather are the, are the hearts of heart strength and endurance. They're they're such good folks. I discovered them through Heather's blog, uh, Relentless Forward Commotion. And what really appealed to me about them is that they understand running and balancing that with life and responsibilities and parenting and all that. And then Heather just seemed to be really like my kind of people. That's really So cool. I've been working with Jeff since... Uh, January of 21. So a little over a year now. That's great. So if other folks want to reach out to them, that is heartendurancecoaching.com if you want to get hooked up with Jeff or Heather. Yep. And they do have a few other coaches on their team as well. Oh, very cool. Yeah, and look, they, they may not be the best fit for everybody, and they readily admit that, but I've had nothing but a great experience with them. That's and, awesome. Well, it sounds like they're yeah. definitely a secret to not only to your current but future success. Are there any, you know, organizations, um, NGOs, nonprofits, ways of giving back that you regularly take part in down there? Uh, so, so something that's very, I won't say near and dear to me, but very important, um, especially in these regional and rural communities. There's not as much access to mental health support. Um, there is a group called Beyond Blue, which is pretty instrumental in making sure that people get the mental health help that they need. And do you volunteer with Beyond Blue? I don't volunteer with them. Um, I do donate, though, and I have used their services before. Um, but they also put on a lot of community events. They do bus tours and um, put on events like, you know, rugby clinics and, um, you know, sporting based events that use those community events to frame the conversation mm -hmm. around mental health. Mm -hmm. um, just because it is still stigmatized in a way and, you know, you, you don't. Uh, th there is the pressure as a man to not really let your feelings show through, but, um, you know, it really beyond blue helps a lot of folks just be able to talk about, Hey, this is happening and give them the tools to reach out. Very few positives came out of the pandemic, but I think one is the awareness of mental health and the Absolutely. awareness that 
so many of us are all in this together from anxiety disorders to depression mm-hmm. and it has affected pretty much everyone. Um, and it's definitely affected me. It's been a big factor for the last Absolutely. couple of years. And yeah. so I really appreciate you bringing that up. I think it's incredibly important. And if you need help, the first step is reaching out and asking for help. Yeah. Well, and you know, to touch on that, uh, I have my late diagnosis, ADHD and autism. So, but I would not have, I probably wouldn't have discovered that or seen the tools to reach those that had caused me anxiety and depression, along with, of course, the the other issues of the past couple of years. Um, I wouldn't have really been able to reach out and start the process if it wasn't for COVID. Yeah. So it's made a huge difference in my life. Like you said, very few positives, but. And but. <laughs> this is how you discovered running. How I discovered running. We're, uh, we're, t- we're doing our best to find the positives here. I want to jump yeah, into man. our final segment. It's the chasing right. cutoffs lightning round. I call it fast twitch, slow twitch. So I'm going to ask <laughs> you several questions. Some of them, I think I know the answers based on what we've already talked about, but we'll jump into it really quick. Would you rather come in first in a 5k or DFL in a hundred miler DFL hundred miler a hundred percent whoop whoop all right dogs or cats yes <laughs> I, I have two of each sweet or salty Ooh. you're asking a chef here that's a tough salty. one. Oh, salty he goes salty salty nice any go-to uh running nutrition or food or just like uh, guilty pleasures that are that are uh, out there on the trail or that you tend to grab at the aid station sour patch kids gotcha what is your trailhead access vehicle what are you driving a holden captiva i have no idea what that is everybody break out your google and look for a <laughs> holden captiva what is this thing is this a is this a sedan is this a a <laughs> saloon it's, it's as they a, say it's a small SUV, uh, but Holden is a purely Australian brand. Nice. You have uh, all-wheel drive, four-wheel drive? Uh, this one's a two-wheel, uh, but we do have a Ford Territory, which is an all-wheel drive, fully Australian-designed Ford. Yeah, we don't get the Territory over here. No. no well, we don't it. over here anymore either. <laughs> <laughs> they discontinued it in 2017, and we've got a 16 model. Nice. Koros, Garmin, or Sunto? Oh, I am Garmin fan with the yeah. 45, the 4Runner 45. It's bare bones. It's beautiful. Um, I want to try out some Koros. Are you able to do math in your head while running? Yes. Nice. So you can you can do the calculations, the trail math, even at 40K, you know how much further you have to go. I can't do it, man. I can't even, I can't think straight. That's about the only way I stay interested. <laughs> I, I get ah. bored if I don't do the math. Yeah, this goes back to you being strong academically. I believe that. What is your worst ever injury? Oh, that would have been a calf injury two years ago playing rugby. I have somehow, somehow in the past year and a half, not had any injuries, knock on wood, yep. from running. Do you have a a mantra or a self-talk thing that you tell yourself when things get tough in a race? No, but I do use a lot of third-person talk. Tell me about that. So, you know, third-person talk has actually 
been researched a little bit and has been shown, you know, where if you talk to yourself in the third person, you know, as opposed to the first, where I can do this, I can get through it. Um, if you actually, you've only got this much to go. You've only got to eat this little bit of food. You you just need to get over this hill. It's actually more effective to speak in the third person to yourself. And I think that kind of taps into the way that we encourage others. Mm. And I know for myself, I'm better at encouraging others than I am myself. So I think it probably taps into that a little bit. Yeah, absolutely. I love that. Do you have a, a dream destination or adventure run that's captured your imagination? I really want to do the Pinhoti 100. Whoa, where's that? Alabama. There's the Pinhoti Trail from Florida up into Georgia through Alabama. Um, but the 100-mile race course goes up Mount Cheeha, which is the highest point in Alabama. And, um, yeah, so I definitely want to do that one day. Would you rather run solo with a friend or in a group? Solo. Is this where you work, work out the mental gymnastics? Well, so, you know, it was really enjoyable when I did that Newcastle half marathon to have people around me, but I do most of my training solo. Most of the time in a race, I'm solo. Yes. <laughs> You know, when, when you're DFL, you tend to be by yourself. That's, it tends to and be I'm how it goes. Really, yeah, I'm just comfortable by myself. Yeah, yeah, I like that. So if you're going to go do a long training run, say 20 miles or more, right? You're, you're, you're doing your final big push, training for a 50K. Do you make a, a detailed plan and create a GPX file and download it to your watch and tell people where you're going to be? Or do you just kind of go with the flow and let the adventure unfold? I have some pretty standard routes that I take yeah. for different distances. And um, the big long runs tend to be like two or three of these routes put together. I always know exactly where I'm going. Um, and I also use live track. Um, I get a bit paranoid. I use live track. My phone is fully charged and my partner knows where I am. There you go. There you go. Craziest animal encounter. The kangaroos were crazy. Like, um, but there was, I'd taken a friend's kid out to run because he was getting interested in trail running. And we passed by one of the other local guys and we had seen a snake up the, uh, uh, what was it? It was, uh, it, it was a red belly black snake. And uh, we saw Trent as we were coming down and we we're like, Hey, watch out. There is a snake up there. And he commented on my Strava later that day, man, thanks for the heads up. But every twig looked like a snake after that. <laughs> Would you rather crew somebody, pace somebody, or volunteer at an aid station? I have promised a friend I'm going to pace him. Okay. But I would love to crew somebody. Yeah. Yeah. I to totally, right? You're like, you're like the person like shoving the food into their pack and like refilling their bottle yeah. and working as fast as possible to get them out of there and encourage them to keep going. Well, and of I, love, I love operations management and logistics. So like I'd be the one with the spreadsheet, like Formula One crew <laughs> stop. So if you're out on race day, what is easier for you to manage, a fall or GI distress? 
probably GI distress because I deal with it all the time. Ah, <laughs> you're in familiar territory. Um, oh, very familiar territory. This morning, it was only 10Ks, man. But like 4.6 in, I was trying to figure out which sock was my favorite. <laughs> oh, God. Yeah, it was pretty gnarly there for a minute. Oh, I think we know that the sh- title of the show, just trying to figure out which sock was my favorite. <laughs> With all of the new excitement and investment and money pouring into the sport, the mergers and acquisitions of all these outdoor companies and the explosive growth of trail and ultra running, what impact do you think that's going to have on back of the Packers like us? Well, I personally think that it will make it better. Um, And, you know, it's actually interesting that you bring this up because Heather Hart actually did a podcast a few years ago where she had had an experience where she got injured or something. I can't remember the exact story, but she ended up back of the pack. Uh And there was just all the aid stations had packed up. The finish line was basically empty by the time they got to it. By the time they got to it, it was a road race. And the back of the Packers just didn't have the same experience. Um, I think that with trail running, just because it is so community oriented, I think it'll be fine. But I, I think that with the popularity, just I don't think we'll lose the community. Yeah, let's hope not. So I want to say thank you. Number one, thank you for reaching out and being so kind to encourage me and getting this podcast off the ground. Thank you for saying yes to come and join us. It's been a fascinating interview. I'd loved getting to know you. Absolutely. For people out there that want to continue to follow your progress as you continue to race throughout the year and working with your coaches, how can they find you? Uh, So I am Brolius205 on Instagram. Gotcha. So Brolius is B-R-O-L-E-U-S 205 on the Instagram and then the the variant on the Yeah, I'm Brolius on everything. So it's easy to find. (laughs) Gotcha. It's just been awesome, man. I hope someday we get to meet in person. Right on, man. Thanks, Ben. Good to meet you too, man. You take care now. All right, my friends. How awesome is Coley? Thank you for coming on the show. That was so much fun. In just a few weeks' time, we will be debuting Volume 1 of a new special segment called First and Last. This is where first-time ultra runners tell their DFL podium finish story. If you finish your first ultra in the bottom three, reach out and let me know so we can get your story on the show. You can find us on Instagram at Chasing Cutoffs. If you want to go old school, you can always send me an email at chasing cutoffs at gmail.com and if you are a seasoned ultra runner back of the packer dfl specialist let's get you on the show too it's gonna be fun it's gonna be a party and i'm so glad you are all along for the ride so until next week from myself producer daisy and all of us at chasing cutoffs keep crushing the miles and let's flip the script on slow